Hi, I'm Mona Chattel, and you're listening to On the Pulse, a podcast from the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. On this podcast, we take a deep dive into the experiences of frontline providers and researchers. We explore their insights and invaluable stories of how healthcare works in today's world. This month, our guest is anthropologist and public health scholar, Dr. Cecilia Tamori. She is Director of Global Public Health and Community Health at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. Her research addresses health inequities in maternal and child health, as well as sexual and reproductive health. She's an expert in breastfeeding, infant sleep, and infectious disease. So Cecilia, welcome. So great to have you here. Thank you for having me. So, um, you know, you're our first guest on the newly launched uh, On the Pulse podcast, um, and uh, super happy that that you're with us today. Can you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I'm Hungarian-American. I am an anthropologist by training. I received my PhD from the University of Michigan, and then I um, went on to do a postdoctoral certificate at the Department of Epidemiology at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, where I was faculty for several years. Um, And then I had a position in uh, the UK before I joined the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing, where I am currently director in global public health and community health. Um, so that is uh, the, the brief nutshell. Great. Um, so you, you know a lot about um, breastfeeding. Um, wh- you know, where are we now with COVID and breastfeeding? Right. So this um, actually has been quite a journey during uh, 2020. Um, and as you mentioned, I have been working on breastfeeding and relation to a whole bunch of different topics for about two decades now. And when the COVID pandemic hit, we started getting reports that uh, mothers and infants were being separated and that they were not uh, provided the opportunity to breastfeed or they were being severely restricted in their ability to um, have contact with their infants. And because lactation is uh, very much facilitated by that closeness, by the proximity between mom and baby and skin to skin contact, you know, these things are really alarming. And initial guidance um, from the United States uh, stated that uh, providers should consider separating uh, mothers and infants, not necessarily mandated yet, but that was taken it was interpreted as as a mandate. And this did not align with the World Health Organization's guidelines, which actually recommended keeping mothers and infants together for a whole series of reasons and taking some precautions to reduce infection. So that trajectory... um, That was pretty dramatic, right? That was was extremely (laughs) dramatic. It was extremely alarming. And there was, um, there were, you know, I was flooded with requests from, you know, the lactation community, um, you know, who were looking to find guidance from researchers. I was getting distressed reports from them, from parents themselves. I mean, it was just this explosion of uh, messages. So, you know, I immediately started reaching out to colleagues, you know, trying to figure out what is it that we could do to, um, 
support you know, evidence-based guidance and really to start thinking about why we're not aligning with the, the WHO. And it's not only in the United States, unfortunately, when um, high-income countries make guidelines, their recommendations also get exported to other settings where the harm could be even worse, which we now, a year later, we actually just had a publication um, from an expert group from the WHO that shows the difference in uh, mortality if um, moms and babies are separated, particularly in low and middle income settings, and it's enormous. So and difference means worse. Much, much worse. Yeah. I'm on order of magnitude or more worse. So we're really talking about substantial differences. And so we knew from early reports that, you know, with any emerging infection, and, and this is sort of the part of the lesson here, it's not just about this particular pandemic, but, you know, there's going to be novel infections, and there have been obviously novel infections. It's completely right. understandable that uh, people want to take infection control precautions. So it's not about not following those precautions, but looking integratively about infection control, as well as other considerations that may end up interfering with some of the things around infection because uh, lactation is an adaptation in part for precisely infectious disease. And so interfering with that actually has uh, right. consequences. So this is sort of the integrative thinking that I think the WHO often has that doesn't necessarily happen in individual national settings or you know, at other levels that policies get implemented is there was huge heterogeneity across the country and what was happening. And so we decided to write a paper and that was sort of the first peer reviewed publication laying out why we need to be thinking about this integrative thinking and why separation is actually not always the best policy. It may not reduce the harms that we think it does, especially if we're thinking about both the historical context of this, the inequities that are embedded into systems and the kind of trauma that people are gonna be having by separating moms and babies, but also you know, that, that infants are not organisms that can kind of survive on their own. So other people will be handling that infant as well. Um, right. Which may also <laughs> increase infection risk. So there was not that sort of systematic mapping out of what exactly was going to happen to this infant that was being separated and what was gonna, you know, what are the other, what are the ultimate consequences which are multifaceted? So, you know, we laid that out in an early paper which was helpful hopefully for people to think through some of these issues and other people also were advocating at the time. And ultimately that initial guidance was reversed in the United States. For our listeners, like how long did it take? Like a months. long time, months. Okay. <laughs> months. So, so we went from, you know, and I've obviously I've done a, a bunch of talks on this and it is, it is unfortunately, and you know, when you said, where are we now? You know, here we are in 2021 and I'm still getting some of these reports. So even after a policy gets reversed and the official recommendations, both by the CDC and the American Academy of Pediatrics, which were sort of the two main guiding bodies in the United States, they, they were reversed, you know, really by the summer, but- deep, People are still sort of not 
not but they're still following the old policy. Yeah, I, I, I think that there because we've had this very uh, the guidance was not aligned with one another, you know, within the country itself, there was a lot of confusion, there were multiple updates, you know, it was sort of a roller coaster for us, you know, I would provide, you know, I, I had given a talk where I had started drafting a paper and then the next week, you know, one of the, the you know, agencies would announce that actually we're gonna do it like this now, you know, and so it was not always clear for those of us in the research community, um, it was not clear what was causing various changes along the way, some of which were really thinking more integratively about care and thinking about the role of the relationship between the brain parent and the infant and the family, while others were really not. Well, and that's what I keep thinking as I'm listening to you talk is that, like, our work as researchers has such an impact on policy. Uh, and if, I mean, your, your work and, and then your work with colleagues and writing that paper and, and your other talks have really um, sort of set the record straight. And even though it's not perfect, um, but at least, you know, the policy was reversed. It was. Uh, I do think, you know, I mean, it was, it's always difficult to tell, you know, what impact an individual, you know, contribution or effort might make. And, you know, it certainly was a team effort. Yeah. But, um, but we were, you know, at the beginning when we were proposing some of these issues and really just aligning with other ways of thinking that were already in the literature in the WHO, it was considered, uh, you know, sort of a little bit out there because we were not aligning with some of the recommendations in the United States. So I think having that sort of little bit more um, comparative global perspective, but also an eye on inequities within a high income setting can really help sharpen the analysis. But it was it was a tough road uh, with lots of sort of tension and disagreements. And you yeah. know, by no means do we, uh, have it fully resolved. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people think that once you have sort of a better set of policies, um, the implementation will just follow. But I think that implementation can be very wide ranging and heterogeneous and it can depend on particular set of people at different levels who will facilitate certain kinds of models of care versus others. Well, let me ask you about another, another um, potentially uh, um, controversial or uh, topic about vaccinations with right. pre pregnant persons. W yeah. You know, what do you Both know about pregnant that? Pregnant and lactating persons have, so we're sort of in that phase now, I think it was not clear, you know, what exactly people should be recommending or not. And, and part of the reason for this had to do with the lack of inclusion of pregnant people and lactating people in the clinical trials. And so because there, were, there was no inclusion, the initial sort of recommendations were very hesitant about what exactly these people who were not part of the trials should be doing. And then, Later on, again, the different organizations started putting out various statements and really started interpreting what we know about vaccines in general, the mechanism of mRNA vaccines, 
And that started shifting recommendations. So really in the United States, and again, this is completely heterogeneous and these battles are still being fought in other settings. Uh, you know, the UK is one of the examples that's had a really hard time, some other places as well, where well, it, people are not giving the opportunity to, to vaccinate. Yeah, it really makes me um, think that this really demonstrates the importance of clear public health messaging right from the beginning. Um, right, absolutely. Which, there's not there's not that sort of systematic, you know, I think one of the arguments that I've been making and that I'm planning on making in some future papers is that the sort of maternal child health part of all of this is often mm-hmm. an afterthought. And so, yeah. you know, as people are thinking about these big issues, you know, that population of people, you know, pregnant people, birthing people, infants, families is often just not being thought about right up front. And that is part of the reason then why you have this very fragmented kind of messaging. So fragmented messaging, and also I think in the United States, a history of particular ways of framing issues that doesn't always align with how others might frame issues. But I suppose in terms of takeaways of where we are, the good news is that at least on that front, the change was much quicker than on Mm. the separation policies earlier. Organizations Mm -hmm. came together, started having a more united message. And the message in the United States is really that both pregnant people and lactating people can access vaccination, which is is pretty groundbreaking. I think we still have a ways to go on, for example, separating those two populations, which are physiologically, they're not the same kinds of concerns that you have with a lactating person versus a pregnant person. So Mm. I think we're still struggling with that. And there's still some messaging issues, of course, but, but people can actually access these vaccines. Whereas in other settings, they've had a really difficult time and we're told you know, to wait until they're no longer pregnant, to wait until they're no longer breastfeeding their infants. Uh, I mean, these are not the kind of recommendations that you wanna give because it raises concerns that may not be warranted for pregnant people versus a nuanced discussion. And then for lactating people, it can mean that they're gonna stop breastfeeding their babies in order to vaccinate or avoid vaccination and yeah, they might get infected good. and have a, right. a bad outcome. So, I mean, the, the consequences are, are pretty serious. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for sharing your experience. Uh, it's so valuable for us and uh, we, we hope you'll, you'll join us again. I know you have lot, lots of other topics that you can talk about. Again, our guest today is anthropologist and public health scholar, Dr. Cecilia Tamori. Dr. Tamori is the Director of Global Public Health and Community Health at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. Thanks, Cecilia. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you.